0: Welcome, everyone, to the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete.
1: Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone, here today to talk to you, to give you our impressions, to take you through Rogue One, a Star Wars story.
0: Pete, before we jump in there, a couple of uh, various and sundry odds and ends to cover for the Pop Culture Podcast here. want to give a little tease, Pete that uh, in a future Pop Culture Podcast episode coming soon, we're going to be talking about uh, the renewal for Season 2 of Luke Cage along with something special, but uh, we don't want to open that present quite yet.
1: Absolutely. In addition to that, we are continuing podcasting the Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Slingshot digital series. We have already done Episode 101, Vendetta. We'll be bringing you more episodes later this week in addition to Matt
0: uh, of course at the end of the week we will be uh, sharing our, our rerun commentary track for a Christmas story the uh, perennial holiday favorite and uh, you could pop that on while you watch it on uh, home video or watch it on TBS TNT etc
1: and last but not least a fantastic geek holiday tradition with all the trimmings a yet unnamed secret film commentary coming.
0: Yeah, and Pete, we, we we've had a couple of requests spe- uh, slash speculations as to what that could be. So uh, stay tuned.
1: Absolutely, just have to uh, listen in
0: and figure out what it is. But Pete, why don't you take us to the topic at hand today—the Stars War?
1: Yes, uh, go. Take yourself to a Star War here. Uh, this Rogue One, the first of a new type of Star Wars movie, the Star Wars story, so dubbed, uh, one time referred to as anthology films. Now in their first incarnation here, this had to be a hit, Matt, and uh, inarguably, it's a home
0: run. Absolutely. Uh, the, uh, the domestic box office total continually, uh, the, the estimate was uh, revised since Thursday night previews, which was interesting because when you and I were at the Thursday night show, uh, I said, you know, I think that there's going to, we were in a theater which was not at full capacity, which was different from when we saw Force Awakens a year prior. But I said to you, I think that there is demand for this movie. It's just not demand for opening night Thursday at 7 p.m. I think a lot of people are going to space it out over over the weekend. Um, and it was funny because all the uh, all the smarty pants in Hollywood looked at the at the uh, opening night preview, which was quite good, at I believe 29 million dollars, and then did the math from there. And then as each day went on, they revised up, revised up, revised up as of this recording we're looking at 155 million dollars domestically which uh is no force awakens but it was never expected to be um certainly a huge debut there and uh 290 million dollars worldwide as it opened up getting an a cinema score uh which uh, as i read i believe on deadline bests the a minus that all three of the prequels got um and uh 84 percent of rotten tomatoes so certainly the uh the movie of the season, Pete.
1: I think, well, I mean, let's, let's throw out there what the numbers that we threw out there. I had thrown out, uh, well, let me backtrack. After nailing to the million of dollars last year in my prediction of of The Force Awakens, $247 million in their first weekend, go back and listen to it. Matt is my, my. Uh, he, he will testify to this. Uh, I had predicted 175 million. Matt, you had predicted 185 million. Okay, while it comes below both of our estimates, it's not as if it won't reach that eventually. Uh, Bob Iger, speaking to uh, Disney shareholders within the last quarter, poured some cold water. Oh, this won't be Force Awakens. We won't make anywhere near as much. And everyone knew that they wouldn't. He was just stating the obvious. Um, But as the third ever PG-13 Star Wars movie, uh, Force Awakens, um, you know, far more family friendly uh, than this one. But I think people are watching this and the word of mouth is spreading. Okay, you can you can get through the hardcore war in Star Wars movie. Oh, yeah. And that. Pretty violent Darth Vader scene, and you can bring your eight-year-old little boy, perhaps even your little girl, to this.
0: Yeah, I think that if I mean, not that 155 million dollars is is a failure by any stretch of the imagination, but if you want to say, well, where's the 20 million dollar difference? I think going from PG to PG 13 plus, as apparently Disney kept noting throughout the weekend, there are more schools open this this upcoming week than were last week in the nation um so i guess that that affects your your saturday business a little bit um also i think just the fact that this isn't the luke skywalker princess leia and han solo and new people it's it's everything you used to know plus the same plus different the fact that this is saying this is different and the fact that this was uh marketed a bit less um in part because it needed to get out of the, the 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 way of uh the oomph for force awakens that's where you have the difference but again nobody nobody is claiming this is a failure but you start to the imagination pete it's been out for three days plus a preview night and it's already making money that's pretty impressive
1: it is and you look back at the sale of star wars to disney in 2012 and they have they have more than with everything connected beyond the films the the ancillary uh tv the uh the merchandise everything like that they have more than paid for the investment
0: with that pete let's start to dig in here let's talk about the task of creating this movie from thin air i mean i mean we were just talking about force awakens a moment ago so much of that movie was a literally a continued story, and b having these beats to kind of echo back. And there was much more of a blank slate when it came to doing kind of a brand new Star Wars movie,
1: yeah. And I think it all begins here with longtime Lucasfilm effects guru John Knoll, um, who shares a story by credit. For this film, the writing process of this film was pretty interesting. We'll go into that. But in 2003, he first came up with the idea to tell a story, Matt, for the live-action Star Wars TV show. (laughs) You know, the one that now has amassed, um, I think it's $150 billion. Uh, scripts that they're they're gonna shoot Matt they're gonna shoot all these live action shows
0: and and for the uninitiated uh and and for those not quite getting your sarcasm Pete (laughs) as far back as probably episode two so we're talking that's in production in the year 2000 uh producer Rick McCallum who is perhaps most famous in, in a in a oft passed around YouTube clip of telling George Lucas it's brilliant it's brilliant you're absolutely brilliant George you're brilliant George um and that's kind of how he comes off in the behind the scenes stuff where it's like whatever george wanted we would just say we need we are we are the servants we are the spittle from his mouth he is a god uh anyhow they were talking about this live action star wars show and it was like well we want to sell it to somebody but we want to make sure we have a season written then it was like well we need the effects to the effects world to come along a little bit more besides we want to have 50 scripts written so we can have you know a two-season arc then it was like, well, it still would be awfully expensive because it's not like you know, Lucasfilm didn't have tons of money. Um, and, and you know, to be fair, it was also burning it like like you know, wildfire for uh, for um, the Clone Wars show. But we want to have a hundred scripts. We want to, have, and it, it, it's it it's morphed into this thing where I think there were people on payroll for it. Just like, what's my job today? I'm gonna sharpen the pencils because I heard there's gonna be writers coming in. I'm just gonna sharpen pencils for eight hours and go home. And it's kind of this black hole into which nothing has ever come. However, John Knoll <laughs> had some ideas, apparently.
1: Yeah, and he had culled this idea from the opening crawl of the original Star Wars. The, the first paragraph there that talks about how rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have, have scored their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. So it's the the prologue to the original film uh a a battle never glimpsed a a mission never seen although it was referenced in a couple of what they now call legacy stories both in a video game
0: don't try and tell me those are official anymore (laughs) the the day came the day came where 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 mickey mouse with the smile on his face he took took a took a big sword and chopped all that off and sent it to legendary status a lightsaber yes well or was it? Maybe Mickey Mouse wants to call it a laser sword, and we all have to do that now. I don't know anymore.
1: It was. It was also uh, heard referenced in a in a in a radio um, style uh, transmission, Matt. <laughs> but um, you know, this was a Mission Impossible esque story. Darth Vader always was uh, in it, but had a, a reduced role, obviously. And the idea from Noel's conception always had a female protagonist. The guy does have three daughters. Um, And just interesting too about Noel, this was a guy who was rejected in um, his first application to uh, Lucasfilm, who was then hired shortly after. And he would proudly display that letter on the door of his office. He shares with his brother... The co-creation credit for Photoshop, Matt. Wow. Okay. And, oh, yeah, being involved in all this longtime Lucasfilm stuff. And when Disney bought it, Kathleen Kennedy, uh, the, the overseer of uh, Lucasfilm now connection for uh, Disney, promoted him to chief creative officer so you can see why this man has continued to uh, uh, ascend and why this tremendous idea has now become uh, realized in this film
0: i don't mean to take uh, unnecessary and easy pot shots at the lucasfilm leadership structure which was there to make the prequels and we all know that you know the prequels fall short to to some degree uh, on your uh, on everyone's scale um and of course chief led by George Lucas etc cetera, etc cetera. but this story Pete that you've just recounted here about John Noel really does speak to the need for a change in leadership um Star Wars is a thing that people like and the people like to continue to consume and twice Lucasfilm has done the trilogy and then said well that's it I guess we don't do Star Wars anymore uh, only to discover the people who are really into it. So why not keep it going in a way that 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 is exciting to a lot of people? like, I don't know, a movie every year or two, um, some some TV stuff that you can actually get to TV and not sit on five thousand hours of scripts. Um, it, to me, this this movie, which we'll get into shortly and which I which I uh, found to be perhaps a bit less perfect than you did, um, it nonetheless speaks to, to to the fact that you needed Kathleen Kennedy to come on over to represent uh, Disney, Disney interests, which are keep making a thing that works, but keep making it and uh, to, to crank out a quality product.
1: Yeah. And what do you know, 10 years later uh, from when he's initially conceiving this idea mm-hmm. shortly after the 2012 sale to Disney, where standalone films in the Star Wars franchise, have now become a thing. He developed this thirty-second pitch, and he was telling it to essentially any coworker. He catch him in the hallway, and hey, you know what about a film where we finally see uh, what it took to steal the the plans to the Death Star, and and who those heroes were, and and uh, how that happened. Oh my God, you have to pitch this to uh, to Kathy. You got it. You got to tell this, and finally. Uh, word passed around enough. There's a, there's an infamous story where he was doing it at a Christmas party and they're like, that's it. You have to tell this to your boss. And, uh, he made a 20 minute presentation, sold American, as they say, Matt.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, what, what, what a great story there for somebody who's hung on to this idea through, through leadership changes, corporate changes, um, and so forth it would be so easy to just say we're going to do the sequel trilogy and after that we're going to do the sequel trilogy to the sequel trilogy uh to have this idea which is an offshoot that stands on its own and to have the people there who are willing to take a risk on it and to then create great people to make a to make a really fun movie that's a credit to all involved because clearly he spent what 10 years where nobody wanted to hear about it
1: Right. And to have the success that this film has had critically, commercially, they have now erased um, any kind of pressure from episode eight, which is still slated to come out next Christmas. Um, you know, we've talked off, Mike, that I happen to believe when the Lucasfilm brain trust meets in January, there, there's been a lot of uh, discussion about the story group and the, the people You know at the tippity top getting together in january right before the han solo film which now has far less um you know pressure facing it that this has been launched successfully that i think we're going to get a backup just a just a smidge of this slate so they're not eating into one another's profits um you know so much was made last Spring and even, you know, during the Force Awakens cycle, like, all right, when are we going to start to get stuff on Rogue One? There's going to be a, a, a extra scene at the end of Force Awakens with a tease. Will there be an ad during the Super Bowl? And it wasn't until March, April that we got that first little teaser, which was very much at the end of the the life cycle of Force Awakens theatrical run. When I don't know, they only made two billion plus dollars. This film's going to do less. There's no way the demand was as pent up. Um, but here you go now. No pressure on those next two films. Although that third one in the trilogy, maybe a little bit, given some of the development issues there.
0: We spent so much time talking about the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and Pete, you talking about pressure on subsequent movies. I can't help but I can't help but think that the mcu started with the critical box office smash iron man followed uh, a month six weeks later by the incredible hulk which was uh, a lesser film i was going to say a letdown but i don't mean it like it let us down it was just it was not as good as iron man right. then two years later iron man 2 which i think we can all agree is not you know out of that three it, it w- would be the 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 worst a year after that thor uh, and then uh, a couple months after that Captain America my point being much slower start there so if you did have pressure what's the movie going to be after Iron Man well guess what it came out so quickly that people couldn't look at a trend and and so on and so forth so I think that there's a lot of credence to what you were saying that just the notion of how are we going to get back home again how are we going to get to Star Wars 77 or Force Awakens with that kind of magic you actually don't have to every time. It doesn't need to be the seminal event in the generation every time. It just needs to be a solid movie. And this this has delivered this has delivered less than The Force Awakens in in many venues. And that's okay.
1: Star Wars has and always will be different. And and they're, you know, by virtue of the fact that both of those companies were acquired, Marvel and Lucasfilm, by Disney, but You know, Star Wars is the golden goose, even with all of its films to this point. Uh, And granted, there's a longer lead time with Star Wars. Um, Marvel has still not caught up to Star Wars. They probably won't ever, even with the number of editions they put in. And I have to believe the plan with Star Wars is not to put as many out, at least as it exists at this point, as the Marvel uh, studios have, but they do have this plan. They have a five movie, uh, stated, uh, slate at this point. Again, that's going to change very soon with whatever that third, spin off that third story is going to be but then you bring in Godzilla director Gareth Edwards in 2014 and you know they're they're moving down the pipe and uh JJ Abrams and the Force Awakens are are taking all the attention and you know here they are making this other type of movie which in everybody's mind seemed lesser it's not the continuation of of the long-standing six-episode story. It's this separate thing. Nowhere... It, it can't possibly, Matt, tell as big, as sweeping, as sprawling a story, right? And, and oh, once Force Awakens came out, there were these rumblings, right? Like, uh, Greedo shot first, Han shot first? No. um, Now, uh, director Tony Gilroy reshot first?
0: What? It, it was interesting i mean you and i who were who are tied into checking hollywood reporter and deadline and entertainment weekly a little bit more than the average person i mean that said we're not sitting there you know we're not, we're not part of uh we're not part of those publications so we're not kind of in the in the hollywood vacuum type thing but it was interesting to see how you and i know so and so many listeners know how so many movies get reshots as footage comes in as stuff comes together and as you say hey there's a hole here and reshoots are an opportunity to fix that uh i mean my goodness anybody who's poured through and pete i'm going to reference a, a, another movie trilogy here that i know you're less familiar with but anybody who's poured through the uh the behind the scenes for uh the lord of the rings trilogy th- they did reshoots for three years for three subsequent years they did reshoots to tighten things up heck Footage was added to *Return of the King* special edition after it won Best Picture. Nobody was in a panic state for that, and nobody was in a panic state when some other, you know, when *Transformers 8* or whatever we're up to does some reshoots. The fact that coming on the heels of this once-in-a-generation touchstone that was *Force Awakens*, which, by the way, did its own reshoots or, or pause period, uh, <laughs> in, in Yes, because Harrison Ford got injured, but it also was an opportunity to kind of, if you will, pre-reshoot, to sit and say, what do we need to, when we resume production, what do we need to tweak in the script? What do we need to tweak from what we've already shot, et cetera?
1: Maybe more damning, they took time off in the middle of the production. They paused The Force Awakens after Ford was injured, rewrote, and then shot again. But, you know, these much ballyhooed reshoots with uh, the Jason Bourne screenwriter and, uh, you know, Gilroy, who directed Michael Clayton, he came in 200K a week, Matt, stands to make about five million dollars based on his involvement. He gets a screenplay by credit along with Matt. And listen, as somebody who's uh, who's done some screenwriting, nothing produced just yet crossing my fingers, and you guys are going to help me get there. Um, you know, not, not to pour uh, cold water or denigrate this work, but uh, the screenplay by credit that uh, Gilroy shares is also with uh, screenwriter Chris Weitz, he of Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps. So if you don't put feet on the floor every morning and think, you know, if I, if I work hard, I can make a, a, a Hollywood movie, That ought to help you understand that.
0: Well, why don't we address for a moment here, since we're talking about story, let's address the the 800-pound bantha in the room. (laughs) I I was less enthusiastic about this movie walking out of it than you were to the point where I was like, Oh, I can't, I can't crush Pete's dreams right now that we're still uh, in the lobbies.
1: But Matt was really big on Batman v Superman. How's that? How's that worked out? Wait, about? wait,
0: I was not, I was not big on Batman v Superman. <laughs> I gave it a C, and I also immediately, before we podcasted, but as we were having dinner afterwards, I said a certain degree of this is just the fanboy stuff because they brought back Doomsday and they killed off Superman and he's in the black suit and all that stuff that's from the heyday of the comics. Also, but, you,
1: you're right, Pete. Yep, you're right.
0: But. I'm not surprised to hear that so many writers had their hands on this. I'm not surprised to hear that reshoots were done with another director, which is not necessarily a reflection on Gareth Edwards. It might have just been a, uh, an availability question. But yeah, I agree that there's some story issues uh, to it, which we can get into. Uh, I, I think there's there's a bit of mud on the, on the writer's pen uh, for this movie where whereas all the gears and all the pieces for Force Awakens really come together. But, uh, but we'll get into that in due course.
1: So here we have this, you know, sprawling list of locations. There are eight locations, Matt. Six, only six, get credited on screen in a Star Wars first with the uh, superimposed name there and a little bit of a description even. But we visit in the course of this film uh, Lamu, the Ring of Kafreen, Wabani, Yavin 4, which is a revisited uh, location, the site of the uh, hidden rebel base, uh, Jedha, Idu, Mustafar, which a uh, lot, of, lot of lore there Return to uh, the location where Anakin Skywalker lost most of his body, and then a final new and, and key location there of Scarif.
0: Yes, I the movie feels like it has more locations than that so i guess it's it's to the credit of uh of the story which i was just uh taking a few pot shots at a moment ago it's to credit that it is um it is a bit more grounded not to suggest that it felt like it was way too many more and i was confused but just it it's both strong sprawling but also grounded which is uh, particularly when he's, think of places like mustafar uh where it's a little le- you know we spend little story time there so some uh some good uh some good uh road signs there uh, along the road of story with that pete why don't you tell us a little bit about the team this uh, rainbow rebellion coalition led by a woman who is not raised mother grandmother aunt relative etc pete these are people that 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 th- through my covered hands i heard a little bit about when you were at new york comic con at the uh at the uh the star wars toy segment and i was like look there's last king of scotland who apparently has robot feet and there's there's a uh, lady from stephen hawking and there you know and so forth so pete take us through these people
1: yeah there was a great um Concern and I, I still have to think that Disney and Lucasfilm in and the advertising dropped the ball a little bit. The number of times, Matt, that we saw trailers for this film where people said, Why isn't BB 8 in this? Um, why does Ray look and sound different? Darth I- Vader's back. Kylo Ren's wearing the Darth Vader. He's gone full Darth Vader. Like, I just think. You have the 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 mishmash failure that was the Ghostbusters answer the call um, advertising, which had this massive miscalculation of 30 years earlier, but wait, not in this universe and never was able to correct from that. And it, it would have been easily spelled out, you know, before the hope there was – the, the first rebels or, or something like that. There are people who are literally still confused as to where this film falls, who these characters, who Felicity Jones, an Academy Award nominee in a film that features uh, another Academy Award winner in Forest Whitaker, is playing in relation to.
0: Pete, uh, and I think you've hit the nail on the head here. Uh, I think that the discussion at, at amongst the marketing people in the suits must have been, hey, so we'll just do 30 years ago and then, or 30 years before, and then the Ghostbusters thing happens. And then they said, okay, well, we can't do 30 years before. Then they said, well, let's sell it as a Star Wars prequel. Mm, nope, nope, people won't like that. So I think you end <laughs> up with the message that you got, which is a Star Wars story with Lady playing Lady. And at a time where there's Death Star, go figure it out. And please don't, please don't think that this is a movie about how 30 years ago, four scientists came together, even though one of them was not a scientist. And yeah, And scene.
1: The smartest thing that Star Wars, that Kathleen Kennedy has, has been a part of doing is realizing there is a hundred percent of a society that is both male and female And yes, women watched Star Wars movies prior to 2015. But when they finally made the lead of that film, of that trilogy, A Woman, when you made the lead of back-to-back movies, Women, and uh, not just going for 50%, 60, 70% 60, 70% of, of people that might go see this, but go for all of them so that little girls can want to play around in the Star Wars universe and and have uh, role models to look up to. Yeah, Princess Leia was a role model to look up to, but she's never the person. She's never the main character. And to, to do it here and to get somebody like Felicity Jones coming off uh, the theory of everything this was a massive coup for them.
0: One third of the Rogue One audience this weekend, at least in the United States, was uh, female. So um, that goes to, that goes to show you what happens when you invite uh, that that portion of the audience in. They they show up.
1: Well, these films they're not made for for you and I, Matt anymore. They're they're you know we're going to be there. That's the given um but to to get little girls interested in this you know to to get girls in high school you know considering this other than being dragged with you know friends that's a big deal
0: well and i think that's the perfect segue to talking about diego luna as uh, captain cassian andor there was i believe a hollywood reporter article that had the headline something like diego luna never thought that he'd be in a star wars movie then the rules changed so Similarly, we have somebody who, uh, shall we say, does not look like Mark Hamill and, uh, and Harrison Ford, uh, and, you know, and, and is playing by rules different than those in 1977.
1: And we talk about this rainbow coalition of, of leads here, you know, you've, you've got a Caucasian woman, a Hispanic male, uh, British uh, sounding robot, um, two Asians, okay, a Muslim And uh, a couple old white dudes. Yeah, I mean, this is not your father's, um, you know, whitewashed Star Wars film. And that's not a politically correct statement. It's just never been this diverse before in a universe that has all sorts of aliens and everything like that. And, you know, we look at Star Trek and we look at the message there Through 50 years of diversity as a stated mission, but now that Star Wars with this film first and foremost is looking so much more like society, the irony being in a film that predates all of them.
0: Moving on down the list, Pete, you mentioned the British-sounding robot, uh, of course, uh, voiced by Alan Tudyk, who I remember as far back as 2001's A Knight's Tale, in which he played the British Watts, yes. and uh, Pete, shocked to discover that this uh, this uh, actor, of course, also known for Firefly and Serenity, and a bunch of other things, including uh, voices in Wreck-It Ralph, Frozen, Big Hero 6, and Zootopia, and The Chicken and Moana, uh, the British-sounding Tudyk, a product of el paso texas y'all
1: <laughs> i did not anticipate that i would care as much for this character as i did and maybe the most heart-rending death in the film in a film that kills every single one of its leads
0: pete did he also do onset motion capture do you know he did because here's this is a small criticism i'll have some medium-sized ones in a bit but i understand that there always was a guy there always has been a guy inside the uh 3po suit uh, except for the awful cgi in uh is it episode two episode three where he's in the factory episode two
1: episode two
0: Yep. so you know aside from those moments it's always been a guy and the heart of r2d2 has not been the guy driving the remote control but rather the actor inside him to add the add the the personality i felt that k2so moved in a way that that was a little bit too human um I, i would have liked some of that constraint that anthony daniels has where he can't move and it's a guy that looks natural but he also can't bend his arms completely um that said, I mean a, a wonderfully rendered character. The fact that he's gigantic is is um, something we have not seen before. Uh, I mean, we have perhaps a bit with Chewbacca, but I would I would bet that K two is taller than Chewbacca. Yes. Yep. Um. But uh, certainly a pathos there from from Alan Tudyk here, who has become. The 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 Disney the Disney beloved child here who is in is in so many things Disney Pete are is is there going to be the reveal that Alan Tudyk is now playing uh, I don't know uh, Wolverine in the next uh, the next Avengers movie because magic has happened again
1: I don't I don't know but uh, did a fine job here then we get Hong Kong action star of IP Man uh, Donnie Yen as this blind monk warrior uh, Chirut Imway. Who you know just like K two S O steals scenes.
0: Yeah, uh, given the um, given the, the the somewhat nebulous way in which the Star Wars film franchise has treated uh, acceptance of the Force, Force as a religion, if you will, uh, where it's kind of this what you know. It's this far out thing in uh in episode four, you know. Of course, you know, there's no uh, hokey religion that's uh that's guiding my destiny, et cetera, et cetera. To the prequels, where we see it as you know, people accept that there are Jedi who have some of these powers. It was interesting to see here with uh, with Chirrut Imwe this this almost desperate faith. I mean, th- there's a memory of the Force. There's the memory of of Jedi he's kind of more on faith and less on substance, uh in, in terms of his devotion to that ancient religion, if you will. Um and it was just it was interesting to see it at this at this somewhat midpoint of the Star Wars uh the sprawling Star Wars story.
1: Yeah, and coupled with uh Wen Jiang, who plays his buddy Bayes Malbus here, they're they're really a package situation um living on Jeddah, this this once revered site of the the Jedi faith. The landscape is dotted by uh fallen uh you know pictographs of uh of, of Jedi holding lightsabers and everything there. It's just a a tremendous way to hint at the Jedi stuff, to to talk about it. But other than that, not one other Jedi appears in this film. They can't by nature even though obi-wan kenobi is is later referenced darth vader shows up and kicks some serious butt
0: pete question for you uh listeners know of course i maintain a a religious devotion to being spoiler free just as uh Just as Cherit and Baze are are so uh, faithful in in the ways of the forest,
1: and I go full dark side.
0: <laughs> That's true. One of these two gentlemen, I know at Comic Con because I kind of like half peeked at the article. I took I took a special disp- dispensation oh, at, at San Diego Comic Con. One of these two gentlemen um, let slip that he died in the film. And uh, there was sure
1: Mway. Yes, Donn okay. N said that there was a uh, audible pause gasp and then they they breezed right through it at least that was the only one that was publicly acknowledged again when they all die
0: yeah i mean i i feel like in retrospect sitting there going because i remember the reference the, the the article referenced that perhaps uh english being a second language was a bit of a was a bit of a barrier there so i'm watching the movie saying I believe it's one of these two Asian characters who who made the faux pas at San Diego Comic Con. So I'm going to keep an eye out which one do I think is going <laughs> to die to then be like surprise, you get a death, you get a death, you all get a death. It almost worked in their advantage because watching out for the one who died, and then you know it's the end of the movie where I go, oh, it's all of them, right? And then it's you true, bring all in- of them.
1: <laughs> You bring in uh, actor, rapper Rez Ahmed here, most recently of the uh, the HBO uh, shortened series, The Night Of. He's he's really kind of the impetus to the plot moving forward, this defecting Imperial pilot in Bodhi Rook. And the the de facto every man of the story, despite the fact that he's worked for the bad guys, there's there's true conscience talking about you know making things right before he gets his death and and he does and matt you talked about a little you picked up i think wisely some of the reshoot stuff with uh oh, with <laughs> uh riz ahmed
0: yes i guarantee and this credit where credit is due it as i was watching the scene in which he's in the the cargo area of the uh of the u-wing that's what it is right
1: you're thinking maybe of uh, rogue 1 that would be uh, shuttle SW0608.
0: Oh right, right, right. That's it's the 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 imperial shuttle anyhow. Um when he has this he has a scene which made me think back to a reshoot on lord of the rings where they point the camera at a map and pu- have a finger go here and the finger go there and a finger go there while the the dialogue is so we're going to move from here and go to there and go because they realized people didn't weren't clear what was going on so there's this scene where he's in the cargo hold it's a simple enough set he's got a simple enough background um you don't see in the dialogue anyone else which to me is suggestive that they're going to intercut shots of people who aren't there and he's like all right guys so here's what we need to do we need to take my we need to take this ship and plug it in the ship is a we need to plug it in with this cord that i will call the a cord we need to plug it in to plug b with that thing over there that goes up and down, we need to push it to the up position. That will then let B go to C and hopefully the people at C get the thing out the shield so we can go A to B to C and then we can upload to RebelTube our video on how to defeat (laughs) the the Empire. Again, no shame if people watch the movie first time and go, I'm not clear why people are on the beach and people are in the thing and people are up on the thing. Then that's when you say, "Hey, Riz Ahmed, need you to come back? We're gonna put you in your outfit. We're gonna give you a put a little set behind you, or maybe green screen it. And, and here's what we need you to say: A to B, B to C. So A B C, we win."
1: Yeah, and it, it works. It's uh, authentic enough. And again, I just come back to him as a character who the the gravity of what the empire is doing has now made this a problem for him. It's interesting that his character comes on the heels of uh FN2187 of uh Finn from The Force Awakens, the the first imperial we had ever seen turncoat and, and now become, you know, one of the leads of, of that new trilogy. And uh, here we're doing it, we're retconning it to the original uh, films and, and moving it forward there. It's going to be interesting if it ever goes the other way and, and we've got uh, betrayers on the, uh, on the rebel side if they ever choose to do that. But again, it's a murky universe that they, they live in. It had always been seen. You know, the, the Empire, we didn't even know if stormtroopers were really humans underneath there until recently.
0: Pete, it's almost like the movie is saying to to any time in which it might be viewed, it might be saying all it takes is a couple hundred people of conscience at the right time (laughs) on the right day to stand up have their voices heard come together in some sort of some sort of Yavin 4-esque group perhaps their state capitals on December 19th I don't know (laughs) and say we are going to I individually will take a stand and not wait for the 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 Mon Mothma collective to dictate to me I will take the stand and you know what others will come with me too and that's kind of what I see in Imperial Pilot Bodie Rook to me I say no way, Bodie. No way.
1: Well, in referencing that uh, executive branch of the evil galactic empire there, Matt, props has to go out to uh, Ben Mendelssohn as uh, director Orson Krennic, this uh, special projects middle manager of the Death Star and uh, the, the tremendous job he did trying to live up to being a villain in a film that has Darth Vader and has a
0: resurrected villain from the original film pete ben Mendelssohn here wonderful wonderful performance in krennic uh somebody who uh not only is is steadfast in terms of his uh his desire to get the project done and and advance the security quote-unquote of uh, the empire but there's this irony that we know we haven't heard of him before, and we've seen a lot of Star Wars that comes chronologically uh after this, chronologically in the storyline after this. And it's 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 interesting, and I mean this in the best sense. I'll take the writer's to task a little bit later. I mean this in the best sense. It's like he can almost feel the the, the pressure of the writer saying, dude, you're not making it out of this. And when it's like, but you'll tell the emperor, you tell the emperor, it's like, yeah don't worry so much about that We're, there, there are other plans for you or this or that and you can see very easily why he's now just a footnote in the in the galactic civil war he's a footnote in all of this because he's just the guy that oversaw the thing um and and he's been uh, he's been pushed out by tarkin by vader uh, and so forth to now to now where pete we barely remember him all these Star wars movies later He's
1: a character that gets such tremendous moments from tracking down the scientist key to the Death Star development at the beginning of the film to seeing Grand Moff Tarkin and and getting involved in a rivalry with him, getting choked out by Darth Vader after he gets out of his uh, back to bath on no less of the planet that he was maimed on and then getting destroyed by his own weapon.
0: With that Pete, let's move to Mads Mikkelsen who uh, he's having quite a, quite a, a hashtag Disnerd year. His second uh, movie underneath the, uh, the, the Disney empire in as many months this time, of course, playing Galen Erso.
1: I came away from this film so impressed what he was able to do in the few scenes that he has. He's he's got the first one where he gets tracked down. Um there, there's a quick flashback to uh to a corissant actually so at a at another um location that, that goes uh unreferenced directly there so we go to nine locations if you want to count one that happens in a flashback quickly, um, then he's got the, uh, the the heart of his appearance, his performance is is pre-recorded, is on a hologram, which is just a touching, touching scene there in, in Saw's hideout that uh, Jin witnesses. And then finally, they're able to see one another uh, one last time in the uh, the confrontation on Edu. But uh, you know, he he made a fan for life with his uh, performance in this film.
0: Definitely the the grounding uh, the grounding performance, one in which uh, uh, obviously Jin is sprouting from, and, and so much of the story is coming from. And I love the little um, – the conceit here that the the little um, – the rough edge to A New Hope, which is how could they build this big thing that has <laughs> such an easy way to destroy it? I mean, obviously – you know, relatively easy. It's with great cost and with much of rogue squadron, uh, red squadron taken out and and so forth. But it's kind of like, all right, well, I understand they have to blow up the thing because whatever. No, no, no. Wonderful retconning here. It's his guilty conscience, Pete, because he can't stop the war machine. Maybe he can slow it. While he's slowing it, he's going to build in the key to its own destruction. So Galen Erso, a hero in his own right.
1: They retcon one of the greatest plot holes in the history of film. How could, how could you leave a two meter uh, wide hole that a, that a proton torpedo can, can go into on the Death Star? Now it was purposefully built that way. It, it's great use of earlier storytelling to correct a, a perceived flaw. It's, it's what George envisioned the entire time, Matt.
0: Pete, every single thing that George does is brilliant. Uh, I know that there's a picture of him online where he bought uh, Chinese food from a mall uh, food court. A Darth and, mall? Uh, uh, <laughs> not a Darth mall. I think it was a it was a mall by Simon. Um, Pete, I know that that was the best meal there. And in fact, the only way that it could be better is if uh, George Lucas went back, took the picture of him eating it, and put rocks uh, in front of the camera.
1: And... Then we get uh, Academy Award winner Forrest Whitaker as a Clone Wars carryover character, Saw Gerrera here. And uh, somebody that's been announced over the weekend with the reception to the character in the film, obviously with his, his death, really kind of his surrender there with, with what goes on and um, the, the destruction on Jeddah. Uh, is going to show up on Star Wars rebels a little later this year as they move closer to the time frame of this film
0: It just speaks to the the way in which um, that Star Wars story group uh, which of course itself is run slightly differently than uh, Marvel, which is the at least Marvel films the the one head of it Star Wars instead has this story group to be able to need for the story of Rogue One, a guy who is kind of the the um, transition between uh, the life Jin has had, uh, or let's say the adult life she has had, where ne'er do well, you know, uh, rascal, and now it's time to stand up and take action, um, and to say, well, that could be any guy, but wait, we have somebody who could fit that, and also somebody who, who in form of the character, uh, adds to the the multicultural element. Um, and it now is going to strengthen those Clone Wars episodes. It's going to strengthen the upcoming episodes that he could be on for uh, for Rebels. Um, it just speaks to the wisdom of that type of guidance when you have this sprawling, expanded universe that you're trying to recobble after having, <laughs> having destroyed so much of it.
1: And then you talk about of characters that, you know, survive this film but touch back to the original trilogies. Uh, we have the same actress in Genevieve O'Reilly who filmed uh, footage that largely fell on the cutting room floor for episode three as Mon Mothma, a uh, character from the original trilogy played by a different actress who's so key in Return of the Jedi with that other Death Star.
0: It's just, it's Death is everywhere. It's like these, these <laughs> giant planet destroying bases. They just somehow seem to be, to, to keep cropping up.
1: They do. And then Jimmy Smith's, Matt, as Bail Organa. We were coming off having just seen him uh, at the 24 Legacy panel and partial pilot screening at New York Comic Con when the news broke that he is indeed in uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. So, you know, this renaissance of a a strong... TV film career continues.
0: And a couple of thoughts there. One is uh, I think that the star Wars people thought they were being cute by including like three frames of Jimmy Smith's out of focus in what is clearly uh, the Avon four base in one of the trailers or behind the scenes featurettes yeah. featurettes. Yeah. Which it probably literally took about four hours before it was, making its way around the geekosphere that, look, it's a bearded guy wearing blue in Yavin 4. Hey, Jimmy Smiths, are you in this movie? Um, and I think it was like same day it was confirmed, yes, that's Jimmy Smith. So they went from being cute to spoiling themselves, you know, <laughs> within hours. It must have been same day.
1: And then lastly, something that, you know, you, you knew you could count on putting butts in the seats by bringing Darth Vader into this, and that had always been part of the plan, featuring him in the marketing. But to get, and I haven't seen an exact figure on the screen time, it's definitely less than 10 minutes. He appears in three or four scenes, but that last Darth Vader scene in the hallway of the Rebel ship as they're very smartly from a script standpoint, literally moving the death star plan tape. That's now become a disc that they're trying to get off this ship and, and, and get out. And he is just ripping the place apart.
0: Yeah. uh, There's your PG 13. If you hadn't earned it already, which they probably had with the number of deaths and whatnot. Um, but there's your yeah, there is your your Darth Vader nightmare scene to to cause nightmares for a whole new generation, um, and though I how do I put this, I think there's a, there's a, there's a curious story decision to end this movie being, and now you go watch the next movie immediately. Um, I, I can see some pros, I can see some cons, but certainly never has there been more urgency to that Corellian Corvette being chased down by a Star Destroyer um at the beginning of episode four than there is right now where you you're, you're coming off of this previous story and realizing you know they are on the they are on the heels of it you know minutes less than an hour uh, from its escape um and, and all the tension there, of course, is just Darth Vader like like the Jaws character that he is, Jaws the Shark, although I suppose Jaws from James Bond would be a, a similar comparison, just coming and coming and coming. And Pete, now like two Star Destroyers high over Scarif, why don't you start to tell us about some of the effects here, especially the uh, some of the digital person effects. You like the one Star Destroyer and I will be like the other that comes crashing into you.
1: Well, the digital resurrection here of Peter Cushing, who died in 1994 as Grand Moff Tarkin. This is a composite um, of his performance, his facial features, his his likeness, Matt, with the, the physical body of Harry Potter actor Guy Henry. Um, this is the next step in performance of, of special effects. We'd seen a little earlier this year and it, it works with another one of the cameos, if you will, you put quotes around for Princess Leia, the the Robert Downey Jr. thing that uh, they did in Captain America Civil War and reversing his, his age by about a good 25 years. Um, there are people who have seen rogue one this weekend that are not aware that they are looking at the digital face of an actor who's been dead for 22 years
0: well i'll tell you who one of those people was not and that was me uh i have only seen the movie once and i certainly reserve the right to to change my opinion of of uh of the film upon further viewings but i felt that this was disney's a christmas carol starring jim carrey quality digital person and at least the at least a christmas carol has ver- the virtue of not trying to be 100 percent real considering that we have had similar uh you know photorealistic effects with uh fast seven with um with a- uh ant-man uh michael douglas being de-aged uh with uh with robert Downey jr as you mentioned pete for for captain america I was shocked not only at how plastic the face was, but even his body at times felt like it was a decent YouTube video style effects of just the body being somewhat herky jerky. I am at a loss for the for the lack of quality here, uh, not just for for uh, Grand Moff Tarkin but also for Princess Leia at the end. All I can imagine is this part of the what you referenced earlier pete as the star wars purchase which was the purchase of lucasfilm that came with three parts one was star wars certainly by far the biggest second was indiana jones and third was effects house industrial light and magic i can only assume that everybody said of course industrial light and magic can do this even though other people like lola fx uh did it for ant-man and uh, uh weta has done uh, it for uh Even other uh, Disney movies like Jungle Book, and certainly their own stuff, Lord of the Rings, etc. I think that if they hired Industrial Light and Magic for these visual effects, they hired the wrong company.
1: Wow. I mean, listen, I'm not going to admit that we have not crossed the uncanny valley as far as realism when it comes to these digital types of performers just yet. And that's it's just a matter of time till that happens. Um, but that they were able to keep a lid on these two cameos in particular until the last two weeks until right before the press screenings. It's such a small team working on them and, you know, the actors of course, were were sworn to secrecy and in fact, the Princess Leia actress on uh, on Thursday or Friday said that you know, she's been keeping a secret for a long time. She'll soon be able to divulge and no wonder people have, have put her, you know, she's been added as this Guy Henry to IMDb. But, you know, like I said, Matt, there there are people who see this who don't realize that actor has, has long since left us. Um, is it perfect? It's not. Uh, the the one thing you, you mentioned, the the face, which I didn't have a problem with for uh, Grandma and it was his voice that was about an octave or two lower than the the actual appearance of the actor. So that took me out of it a little bit more than, shall we say, the appearance. But, you know, credit where credit is due, it's it's the attempt, it's the next evolution of this type of storytelling and the ability to render these types of effects.
0: Pete, every generation, there's a movie that needs a special edition. <laughs> this can just be, this is, this is, this is this generation's, um, Jabba, uh, the Jabba, thought, by, the thought the, even yeah. that
1: we would re- return to that trope of a special edition of a, of an already beloved film. When a movie's done, it's done, man. Well, just let it be done.
0: <laughs> m- listen, maybe it just simply is a case that in six or eight months time, when you buy this on, on Blu-ray and, uh, there's a digital copy, you know, it's that when you buy the whole shebang, uh, you pop it in. And an hour and forty-five minutes later, you shoot me a text and you go, "I think this is different. I think they've done something with the Tarkin effect here. His voice, his voice doesn't sound the way it the way it did when we were complaining. Well, when you were complaining, I thought his voice was okay, but so- something's different here. And then, then there'll be some little article. Oh yeah, there was some little sprucing up of things. You know, just uh, it's not. D- don't call it a special edition. We d- we just we made a couple of changes that you know time didn't allow for, and coincidentally, Tarkin and Leia now look a lot better. So.
1: You can argue that
0: neither of these
1: cameos are needed. Uh, in fact, I've, I've seen the, the Vader scene, which dovetails right into the, the, the one-word appearance of 19-year-old Carrie Fisher dubbed fan service. But to connect them so concretely and place this film as moments before Star Wars A New Hope it ups the ante. It says, you know what? This is why we made a $4 billion purchase to a franchise that's now worth $43 billion.
0: And I mean, if anything else, I, I know George Lucas, part of his uh, his grumbling over Force Awakens was it's a father and son story. Well, George, here's a little bit of a reminder at the end of Rogue One that it's also a father and daughter story. Um, and you get those two featured here facing off not not directly but facing off certainly in terms of they want to get the plans um i i agree i think it's a it's a it's a story necessity particularly if if in retrospect you are describing this is this is um and i don't mean to misuse the word as i jokingly had had suggested i think disney feared you know six months ago but this is a prequel to uh, to a new hope and and that's okay if we could wash the word prequel out of our mouth and just say it comes right before it right it's um, not a
1: it's not a dirty word <laughs> it's right the 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 connotation that has sprung about and you know the 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 marathons have been going on tv this weekend obviously with an eighth star wars film the the first of its kind in theaters and capitalizing on that for ratings and ads and everything like that but to show those first six movies over and over and over again and to be able to link them up in such a way but you go back and you look at the prequels and you know there's a guy in john knoll who developed this story from scratch from you know of course lucas opening words in the crawl for the original movie but you know his work on the prequels and everything leading up to where they are technologically here you know we we take a, another uh, you know Oscar uh, you know caliber actress last year Nupita Luongo and and make her a, a short orange alien again motion capture uh now now we're capturing dead people this has been something that that lucas has been interested in for a long time and you know you you take carrie fisher and and deager by 39 years
0: only somebody could make a decent movie about uh people in new york capturing dead people but i digress pete uh no complaints here about some of the other quote-unquote cameos there's archival footage of uh two rebel pilots uh, red leader and gold leader uh both um actual real f- film shot on a real camera uh nary put through a computer but uh but towards the end and um immediately i recognized certainly red leader gold leader just kind of looked familiar and then he said oh they're doing something here whether it's old footage whether it's computer whatever it is and that was certainly welcome as well shame about red five though i wonder if they're ever going to fill that position <laughs>
1: yeah, from the uh, from the Shield Gates to uh, to Luke Skywalker's uh, cockpit there when he becomes Red Five in um, in the original Star Wars. But Red Leader, uh, the actor there, Drew Henley, had actually died in February. So another posthumous appearance and then uh, gold leader looking into him angus uh, mckinnis here he's he's still acting he's still going strong so uh gareth edwards obviously when they began the process here they had combed through the lucasfilm archives they had found cutting room floor footage of these two actors all right let's let's put them there at the death star let's let's put them at the battle before the death star and again deepen the the lore of this film there's even two uh female rebel pilots who were restored from return of the jedi one of whom had been dubbed over with a man's voice in return of the jedi who who get their due here so you know to to reach back for these again you know prequel not a bad word matt
0: was it of some of these uh, some of these pilots or was it other footage I, I read one article where somebody had been touring Lucasfilm I mean somebody from like the hierarchy of it all but not like longtime Lucasfilm worker um, where it was like oh what's what's that over there it was like oh I don't know it's just some film cans labeled Star Wars some footage was found in the course of making this movie where it was like guys how have you not opened that and put it into a computer and had it readily available on a secure server for all Star Wars, all of the Star Wars people? I don't mean us fans, you know, anybody who has their hands on Star Wars to sit and go, you know what? We have we have eight minutes of Drew Henley going, but watch out there, be careful, come in Red 5. Oh no, red four. You know, like if you have eight minutes of this guy sitting there, you could do something with it.
1: So the story goes. They looked over some of the logs on the canisters and, and found this footage. So, you know, end result is we win. The the connections between these films are, are just so strong you know star wars being an all-time beloved classic and you make the argument that sequels can never be as strong as the original which i happen to disagree with you know empire strikes back being my favorite film of all time and arguably the greatest sequel of all time um you know I, i again i don't think that's the case and you know you you draw all these deepened connections just makes it that much better
0: well, we have a we have an unnamed online pal who would be be ready to fistfight you over the idea that uh, Empire Strikes Back is the best of all Star Wars movies. But we'll no, that, he'd be wrong. We'll leave that, that discussion for another day. Let's talk about the music here, Pete. Uh, so familiar to our to our our series of podcasts. We have Oscar winner Michael Giacchino, uh, a New Jersey native himself who uh, becomes the first non John Williams composer for a Star Wars film must have been easy Pete they know that he's they know that he's uh you know a, a Disney guy he's done Pixar he's done this he's done. so they just just they must have called him up and said hey will you do this and he said yes no problem no drama there right
1: yeah none at all uh had 4 months to do it after uh you know fellow Oscar winner Alexander Desplat left this production no less than twice um, you know, the 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 reshoots obviously create a drama from a scoring standpoint. Um, much has been made in the last week that John Williams is actually beginning to score episode eight right now. And then, uh, you know, w- who was long considered to be the heir apparent from the moment that J.J. Abrams signed up to direct episode seven, Michael Giacchino. You know, we've be- be- we've.
0: I have to. It's Jacchino. He, he Giacchino. once he once corrected me on Twitter, <laughs> and, and he was his name was missaid by Cher at the Oscars. So, Jacchino. Oh,
1: well, at least uh, Travolta didn't uh, <laughs> didn't pronounce it. But uh, Michael Jacchino, Matt, uh, however you want to say it, is he is every bit that heir apparent to uh, John Williams. If he chooses to, he will score further Star Wars films. In fact, maybe even the first episodic one. I I, I hesitate saying that given, you know, John Williams' age, but his, uh, his passion about continuing to score those films didn't want anyone else to write music for Daisy Ridley is the biggest reason for his involvement in that eighth film. But, you know, he makes use of his own sweeping um you know uh songs strings whatever you want to call it uh at the same time crediting this library of motifs that uh uh williams has helped to establish over the last 39 years
0: i think at disney it must have been a foregone conclusion even if even if uh the splat had left and come back or whatever to hear uh, Michael Giacchino's uh, Jurassic World score, which is of course building on the John Williams score, it felt fresh and new, but also felt like you were back home again. We're, we're home, you know. Uh, to to me, it, it just must have been the case that um, that he he was the guy to do this, and you know, if you're if you're running the business that Lucasfilms Films uh, is, it's uh, again, Pete, I'll, I'll dance around it the same way you were dancing around it, but you know everyone knows that the end comes to us all, and Star Wars movies ne- need to be scored um, for as long as they're going to be <laughs> made by Lucasfilm, so having a guy in a backup position certainly is is the way to go, and I know that the at least the soundtrack credit is something like music by Giacchino, Star Wars themes by John Williams, which right. I think is, is, is the only way it could get more respectful is if the unfortunate did happen, then you would perhaps say, you know, music by John Williams, uh, additional score by Michael Giacchino. If you want to give, g- give Johnny Williams his, his last credit. But Pete, that's hopefully years and years down the line,
1: uh, from, from your mouth to God's ears. Um, this was the film to do that. Let's, let's do it in the first spinoff, the first star Wars story, you know, what what decisions they had to make about doing a crawl as opposed to the to the little prologue a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and then jumping right into it we have our first prologue sequence ever in a Star Wars film in this Star Wars story and uh, with with his addition to the score the the one thing a lot of people were looking for. He is known when he creates his track list with his, his friends, his producers there. They make these punny track titles and get my hands on the list a couple of weeks ago and no puns. But fear not, inside the CD notes, Matt, there he has left the punny uh, track listing. So uh, check it out. I'll, I'll actually be uh, be tweeting it side by side along time alongside the uh, – the actual listing, but uh, you know, it's just another feeling there—the the handing over of the baton, but at the same time, um,
0: the same. World's worst puns, am I right? Let's move on, Pete, to some of the uh, to some of the tidbits here. Rogue One goes deeper into Star Wars lore than any of the previous movies. Where do you want to start, Pete? We got we got kyber crystals, we got Vader castles, we got guardians—not of the galaxy, but of the wills. <laughs> Although, Pete, I'm telling you, Patton Oswalt was right. Just wait for it. 15 years from now, that's when it's going to be like, (laughs) what you didn't know is after Vader left left Scarif, uh, he was pulled into a time zone in which he appeared uh, alongside uh, Thanos and attacked the X-Men in 20th Century Fox's presentation of a Marvel Cinematic Film brought to you by Lucasfilm battle of the geeks
1: god i hope not um kyber crystals matt something that has been written about for nearly as long as star wars has existed in novels uh then relegated to what was called uh uh legends in the uh in the lore in the canon um then brought into the clone wars And now uh, part of the on-screen canon of this, you know, not fully realized from an idea, but enough that they are what power lightsabers. Uh, They were used as fuel in the Death Star, um, which uh, makes it, again, further grist for the mill, but now it counts.
0: Yeah, it's it's again this nice layering where to say, oh, it's the crystals that you know she happens to have one and oh it 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 they need more of them to make the death star go boom all right and if you know the deeper mythology it's also the the crystals required for uh for lightsabers um so there's kind of this added irony that you know the death star is like a giant lightsaber shooter and i don't mean that quite as silly as it sounds just that you know these are tools for good or for ill um and uh I don't know, it, it was a nice use of it as a, as a small thing that makes the Death Star go and oh, she has a little one, it's a gift from her father and it has all this depth to it.
1: For as long as the discussion has been about Darth Vader and heading into Return of the Jedi after the bomb that he is Luke's father and the three-year discussion amongst civilians whether that was true or not, there has existed this idea, where does he hang his hat? And there was even uh, sketches of, uh, you know, his, his castle. And to include it finally, to make it again canon in this film, that he is on the very same planet where he inflicted mortal injury on his wife, where he lost his limbs and was defeated by his mentor. And the sadness that he goes back to a home on this planet and soaks in uh, the Star Wars version of Epsom salts before people come to see him and he's sent on uh, nihilistic missions is maybe the most pathos loaded thing we have seen in these movies yet
0: oh and i mean this side of him as the scarred amputee that that ostensibly finds some peace in the back to tank um until until his master comes a calling obviously not not literally in terms of the the guy who comes to collect him but then you know until the emperor sends him on the next the next uh vendetta it, there's just the slightest bit of sympathy, but then this idea that he has to then suit up, and and you kind of get this this barest flash of of, of the pain that must be his everyday life. It, it it helps you understand the rage that fuels him. He puts on the suit, he's whole again, but not whole the way he wants to be, and that just fuels the anger and regret inside him. And it's just it, in in that briefest of scenes, you kind of get a you get a new look on this. This character, that for some of us has has predated our life, that you know that, that that's been around that long.
1: There's been this criticism for for the cheering that happens when he appears in that rebel hallway and just mows down and and throws and chops in half and impales these rebels. Um, there there's been the criticism. He, we've never seen him that violent in the other films when he fights obi-wan he's stiff later when he fights luke etc the one explanation that i've seen that makes sense to me is the the bacta withdrawal type of situation that you know he had just come from soaking in that he's a little bit more energized so no wonder he he rips apart those rebels there and you know what he doesn't get back for some time so no wonder he's not anywhere as strong if these missions lead directly into one another as does in a new hope. So that for me, at least as far as my head cannon, uh makes it work. and uh, again, you know you, you can buy it, you cannot buy it. For me, it, it, it's something I'm buying
0: we touched a little bit earlier on the guardians of the wills uh the these characters that are uh to my mind kind of still living in the in the shadow or the echo of the the Jedi religious quasi religious order um i know that the the notion of the guardians has been around for a while but it oh, was yeah. new it was new to my fandom
1: well first time mentioned on screen um the journal of the wills is something that has been connected for a very long time with early treatments of the original star wars and there had been some speculation that uh, yoda's species which has never ever been named was wills we've only ever seen two characters of of yoda's species one male obviously him the other female character named Yaddle in, uh, episode one, the Phantom Menace. So whether they're part and parcel of this, whether they're different, but to have these characters who are not Jedi, who are not force sensitive, that revere the force, that respect it, one maintaining it, the other lapsed in Bayes Malbus. And that those two characters in Chirrut and, and Bayes are, you know, the Oscar and, and Felix, of a religious philosophy is just an aspect that works so well in this film in the in the screen time that they have and moving forward i'm very excited to see whether it's in episode eight and and finding out what what luke's done been up to learned etc or or whether this gets explored you know the the, the one I want to see, Matt, if if I'm going to sign up right now for a Star Wars story, you know, we have Han Solo coming. There's a lot of speculation that the Boba Fett film was the one that uh, fantastic for director turned saboteur. Uh, Josh Trank was going to direct uh, may or may not resurface. He's too popular a character to knock at his own film at some point the one i want to see i want to see a 850 year difference prequel yoda film um and i wanted to go deep into this idea of his species of his character of the force everything there you you throw it back so far and i think it could further deepen everything that goes on in this universe that we see so much later
0: Pete, another tidbit here. Let's talk about how there is a story credit by Book of Eli and Rebels writer Gary Whitta, uh, certainly uh, bringing uh, some great skills to the big screen here.
1: Well, I have to imagine that he was in some way connected with some of those choices, the Kyber crystals, Vader's castle, the guardians of the will. Um, but in particular, these uh, Rebels Easter eggs that, that crop up, you know, have been noted by eagle eyed viewers within the last couple of weeks that the, uh, the millennium Falcon of, of rebels, the, the ghost is seen over the battle of Scarif and is even seen parked at, uh, the, the Masasi temple on Yavin four general Sindula is hailed over the PA at some point in the middle of the film Uh, which I pointed out to you in the theater when we heard. Um, What we did not notice, although I had heard, uh, was in the film and we've since seen some screenshots, is uh, there's an actual chopper droid in the film. And then, you know, directly referenced were these hammerhead uh, Carillion uh, Corvette cruisers that are used, The, the one that is able to push the disabled star destroyer into the other to take out the gate there. So very, very strong rebels connections. And there's more on the way on the TV show.
0: Yeah. I know the, uh, the hammerheads appeared in, uh, in at least one episode of rebels. I think they might predate that. Uh, however, again, all these little rebels Easter eggs here to were wonderful to see the ghost, not just appear once, but to see it at various points throughout the battle, uh, can't say conclusively as to whether it uh, whether it makes it out uh, alive. And Pete, that would be one heck of a season five series finale. You know, we get to see the Battle of Scarif from the ghost point of view, and then you know maybe it doesn't make it. You know, good night, Disney XD kids. Punch it in the stomach. Wow, right? Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know, but um, to see it enough to say, oh, it was more than like an Easter egg. It, it made it through through much of the battle. Certainly brought a smile to my face
1: you have a, another uh, pair of cameos there in the, uh, the, the cantina duo of, uh, Dr. Avisian, the guy who screams at, uh, Luke and, uh, Obi-wan has to step in during the cantina. I, I don't like you either. And, uh, the previously. Uh, named Walrus Man, at least that's what he was called when when I had his action figure in 1978. Uh, Character since been named Ponda Baba, uh, showing up on Jetta there in a cameo that that's in your face as much as those faces make a mark on your brain.
0: Yeah, it was a nice little nice little nod. It went by fast enough. Where if you if you didn't get the reference, fine. But if you did, it was just uh, it was worth a nice little chuckle. Uh, also, getting a chuckle, uh, as mentioned before, the the previous Red 5 killed uh, in, in the shield over Scarif. So, again, so there's a pos- position now for a new Red 5.
1: <laughs> R.I.P. Red 5. Warwick Davis, who is something of a good luck charm. Um you know, the original Wicket shows up here. He's, he's one of the aliens in uh, the diminutive ones, of course, in uh, Saw Gerrera's crew. Uh, we even get a, a new Admiral akbar esque uh, Mon Calamari character. This was another one of the spoilers that got thrown in Matt's face at the, the Hasbro Rogue One presentation. Uh, Admiral Ratis, the uh, blue and white-skinned Mon Calamari um who uh, who shows up there, modeled Matt in uh, in appearance, in demeanor after Winston Churchill.
0: I've seen a couple of people online refer to uh, uh, Admiral Radis as Admiral Akbar. so <laughs> not quite. <laughs> that, not quite, but um, uh, certainly a fun character and th- that perch that he sits in, um in in his ship um
1: it's all the it, way at the bottom of the ship yeah
0: it was interesting to see it as a command ship where you can look down over the battle um exposed uh, true I I guess they haven't heard the Star Trek theory of putting the bridge at an easy spot to shoot at you know um but I digress uh we also have uh General Jan Dadana, uh who of course returns or has prior previously returned in a new hope um, th- this is the bearded guy, Pete.
1: yes uh, the the tippity top of the brain trust seen in the rebel headquarters that hidden headquarters in uh, the original Star Wars and obviously they went back and cast another gentleman who who looked a lot like him. Um, but you know all of these layers and, and we could sit here all day and, and go into individual little tidbits that that pop up even past the ones we've mentioned, but so much care was taken and and how far back into the 39 year history of this franchise that they reached to make this spin-off story told for the first time truly something special instead of well you know here's a lesser Star Wars film
0: yeah while i think there there are some rough spots in the movie particularly say in the middle act where um where i I think the pace could have been picked up a little bit and maybe those things were addressed uh in in the reshoots um I, i think the flip side is it's a bit difficult to to judge these movies on first viewing because you know the the prior ones so well um and Pete, that kind of takes us to our to our final tidbit here. I know we we mentioned it previ- uh, previously, but um, here, this movie fixing uh, one of the great plot holes of all time—to
1: be able to go back with this new type of story and tell what happened earlier before a, a pivotal battle. And a seeming flaw there that it was put in, that it was put in intentionally, that it was a way to go along with the coercion that uh, Galen Urso had suffered, that he thought his daughter was still alive, that he wanted to give her a chance wherever she was and to do this for her so that she and others would be able to survive this terrible machine that uh, he had the biggest hand in making. It just brings a beautiful storytelling symmetry to touch upon this film and then Return of the Jedi, and that the idea—it's a trope within these films that bigger, badder, planet now system-destroying devices have been made by the bad guys.
0: Pete, this will be a film long remembered, no <laughs> doubt. Indeed. Pete, this is, of course, a film about a coalition of of ragtag heroes coming together to support a larger cause. Pete reminds me of everybody who helps us out on patreon.com slash Geek, helping keep the podcast lights on, the storage and bandwidth uh, costs that do occur uh, as we make this podcast each and every week. So I want to take a minute to thank everybody for uh, checking us out on patreon.com slash Geek.
1: Especially Mary Kirk. Uh, she is our Jyn Erso.
0: Ooh, indeed, indeed. So true. And uh, of course, you could uh, check out our Patreon website for some of the goodies that we have. And uh, again, thank you one and all. But Pete, there's something that comes for free. OK, and that's interacting with you on Twitter. How can people do so?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J K L R K E T E L A A R. 8,662 followers. Can't be wrong.
0: And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole host of ways. We are Fantastic Geek, Fantastic with the PH, and you can find us under that name on fantasticgeek.com, fantasticgeek at Gmail, fantasticgeek on Twitter and Instagram too. But wait, Pete, there's more.
1: Facebook.com forward slash Geek with the PH all one word like it today and you will never need to look very far before we upload to you the plans to the death star
0: this pop culture podcast will return soon with some more geeky goodness and with that i will say adios to all our listeners and give you pete the final star wars rogue one word
1: i'm one with the force the force is with me